Well, good morning, Ridge family. Before we get into the message, I have a special announcement. This past Tuesday, September 12th, the Ridge Community Church turned 13 years old. How about that? We made it. We made it to the teenage years. You know, and those of you who have raised a 13-year-old or you've been around a 13-year-old, you know some stuff about a 13-year-old, right? Uh, I read this quote this week, parenting 13-year-old is basically spending your day asking questions like, why are you so angry? (laughs) Whose hoodie is this? What happened to all the groceries I just bought? Why are you crying? Did you shower today? And what is that smell? (laughs) (laughs) So as a a 13-year-old church, we've come a long ways, and we're thankful to God for that, but we have a long ways to go. Amen? So I'm glad we're in this together. Uh, Today, we're wrapping up our series on hospitality called Setting the Table, okay? But just because we're ending the series today doesn't mean that we're going to end showing radical, ordinary hospitality to one another. It doesn't mean that we stop using our everyday resources like our kitchen table or our living room or our time in order to engage with others so that strangers can become neighbors and neighbors can become part of the family of God. And and what I want to do is just spend just a a couple of minutes in storytelling and celebration. There's been some really great stories that have come out of the last five or six weeks as we've been walking through this series together. Uh, One story is about a family here at the Ridge who invited a neighbor into their home for dinner. And this was a neighbor they, they didn't know very well. And they ended up just spending about four hours together, eating together, sharing together, talking. And they described the whole experience afterward as life-giving. I mean, literally an example of strangers becoming neighbors. Uh, one of our better man leaders uh, said that he took his coworkers out to lunch and they just had a great time together eating away from the workplace and talking and laughing. And it was just a great experience. One lady shared that uh, she went to lunch with two other ladies from her journey group and she felt like she got to know those two ladies better over that one lunch than she had over the past two years the power of hospitality. A young family I was talking to was eating out at a restaurant and they they noticed a lady that they they recognized. She was eating all alone. And so they invited her to eat with them and they said it turned out to be an amazing conversation. The power of hospitality. Personal story. Uh, My entire family, meaning my wife and my kids, along with another family who had a bunch of kids, so a total 12 of us all together, were invited into the home of one of our great families here at the Ridge. I mean, can you imagine inviting 12 people into your home and and half of them are like teenagers or younger? I mean, there's no gold medal in hospitality, but that might deserve one. And so we were invited into this home. They lived on the river, so we, we got to do some tubing on the river and then just a great meal in the evening. Now that was, that was pretty big, pretty extravagant, but also a friend of mine here at the Ridge invited me over to his front porch for a BLT sandwich and a Sprite. And so pretty simple, but still just as amazing, the interaction, the conversation that we share with one another. And so yes, hospitality can be big, but it can also be very simple and just as powerful. And then the last story that I couldn't help but tell, there's a young man here at the Ridge, he's been mentoring a, a younger boy, but but said he was having trouble connecting with him. And so in the name of hospitality, he bought that boy a bag of Cheetos and boom, he said all the barriers went down and conversation just erupted. So you never know what's gonna work when it comes to hospitality. 
So just some great stories that we want to celebrate. And and throughout this series, we've talked a lot about gathering with others to share a meal. And, And so today, as we close, I want to focus on perhaps the most important meal that we share together as believers, and that is the Lord's Supper. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 11, find verse 17. We're going to look at verses 17 through 34. The Lord's Supper, along with baptism... It is one of the ordinances that Jesus commanded his followers to observe. The Lord's Supper is also referred to as communion or the breaking of bread. In some circles, it's been called the love feast. You may have heard it referred to as the Eucharist, which comes from the Greek word meaning thanksgiving. The original Lord's Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples in the upper room was really an observance of the Passover meal. Before Jesus was crucified, he he took uh, bread and a cup and he adapted and applied the meaning of the Passover meal to his own death. The symbolism of the Lord's Supper is just as Israel was delivered from death and slavery through the blood of the Passover lamb, today followers of Christ are spared from God's judgment by the sin and the blood of the perfect and final sacrifice, which was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus shared the Lord's Supper with his disciples in that upper room, he told them to continue to observe this meal. And so for centuries, the church has obeyed the commandment to eat this sacred meal together in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so in line with that commandment, the church at Corinth in our passage today, they were observing the Lord's Supper and they were observing it often. often. However, there were some issues. There were some issues in the way they were observing that meal. And in 1 Corinthians 11... Paul addresses these issues, and in doing so, helps us understand how we should come to the Lord's table for this meal. And so let's begin 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No. I will not. So Paul's a little upset here, to say the least. And I want to give you a little bit of background. Worship in the early church uh, almost always included what we might think of as like a potluck kind of meal where everyone brought something to share with the group. And then everyone would kind of gather around a table or tables and they would share this big meal with one another. But then after that large meal... The believers would share in in another meal, the the Lord's meal, the Lord's Supper, as an act of worship. It's it's the exact same thing that we saw a couple of weeks ago in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, where it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, and what? Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous 
hearts. But here in the church at Corinth, the meal had become a, a time where some believers were eating and drinking excessively, while others had nothing. So in those situations, the meal had become more about consumption. It had become more about excessiveness. It had become more about exclusion, bringing some people in but leaving others out. And so that's why Paul says your meetings are not for the better, but they're actually for the worse. They're doing more harm than good because everyone is thinking only on themselves. One is a glutton while one goes hungry while another gets drunk. The problem is you're self-absorbed. Okay, now I want to ask a question. How guilty are we in our fast-paced, overcrowded, overscheduled lives of getting, getting wrapped up in our own obligations, our own responsibilities, our, our own needs? You see, that's the thing about hospitality. Hospitality forces us to slow down, does it not? Hospitality causes us to, 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 um, to give more than we take. Hospitality requires that we listen more than we talk. Hospitality allows us to consider others more than we consider ourselves. I would say it like this. Hospitality is the remedy to a self-absorbed life because it causes us to, to quit looking within and we have to look outside of ourselves to the need, the concerns of others. Even if it's just inviting someone on our front porch for a sandwich and a Sprite for that moment, we have to consider others. And so hospitality is a, is a great remedy to look beyond ourselves. And so Paul reveals in this passage that there are certain things that happen when believers truly come together to share the Lord's meal. And I think it's important to note that the things that take place at the Lord's table are some of the th same things that happen when we gather with one another around our kitchen table when we share in hospitality. And I just want to name some of those things. The first one is very obvious. Fellowship happens when we come to the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is, is one act of worship that, that we do not practice alone. Think about that. We can pray alone. We can study God's word alone. We can worship alone. But the Lord's Supper is meant to be celebrated with one another. It's at the Lord's table that we experience fellowship, meaning we experience harmony with one another. We experience the essence of being one body in Christ. And though there may be differences among us, and I'm sure there are, there should be no divisions between us, as Paul says, because of the oneness that we share in Christ. We are truly a family. The Greek word for fellowship is a word you've probably heard before, koinonia. And that word koinonia involves a deeper level of fellowship than just a, a social kind of gathering. The essential element of koinonia is a deep connection in Jesus Christ. We experience fellowship, true fellowship with one another because we are deeply connected to one another through the grace and the mercy and the love and the sacrifice of Christ in us. That's how we experience koinonia. And so Paul is teaching that coming together to share a meal with one another actually reflects that connection that we share with one another as the body of Christ, as we are thinking of one another, as we are considering one another. And that's something, and that is something that, that, 
as simple as gathering around a table with brothers and sisters in Christ allows koinonia to happen, allows for deep, authentic, life-giving fellowship with one another in Christ. Not just on the personal level, not just on the heart level, but on the soul level, we connect with one another. And so that's one thing that happens when we share the Lord's meal together is true, authentic fellowship. Hard to find that anywhere else. But there's more. Let's look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul tells us here that there's a Something, a second thing that happens when we share the Lord's Supper together, and that's remembrance. Remembrance. Remembering or the the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to to look back and remember. I mentioned earlier that a family here in our church invited my family along with another family uh, into their home. Uh, They're a great couple and uh, while we were finishing up the meal that evening, the, ho- the, the host uh, told us that they, that they love to hear and tell stories. And so they literally said, who has a story to tell? And it started off a little slow, but eventually we all, for the next hour or so, told our story. Stories about when we were kids, stories about how we met our spouse, stories uh, about our families. And, and, and it was just a great time. It was, it, it was happy stories. There were uh, God stories, funny stories. And, 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 and not only was it a time of koinonia, it was a precious time of remembrance. We had the opportunity to remember together the faithfulness of God in our individual lives. And and that is something we should not take for granted as we consider the Lord's Supper because our faith is a remembering kind of faith. Remembering was such an important discipline of the Israelites. We, We read it time and time again that they remember, they recalled, they recited their history with the Lord. And it should be a discipline of ours as well. We need to remember often the faithfulness of God throughout history as recorded in the scriptures and we we need to remember God's goodness toward us and guess what we need to talk about it often we need to say who has a story of God's faithfulness and to be able to tell those stories and share those stories and that's why Paul reminds us that part of the purpose of the Lord's meal is that we remember and what is it that we're to remember he points to three things first of all we remember the sacrifice of Jesus When Jesus told his disciples in the upper room that the bread represented his broken body for the remissions of sin, that an Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled that Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, would die for the sins of man. You see, the Lord's Supper is a reminder that our freedom in Christ was not free. That it came at a great cost. It came at a great sacrifice, which was the life 
of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so the Lord's Supper is a time to remember his sacrifice. But it's also a time that we remember the forgiveness of sins. The old covenant system of sacrifices could, could, not, be, take, could not take away sins permanently. That's why Jesus said in the upper room, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. That new covenant refers to the Lord's promises found in passages like Jeremiah 31, 34 that says, for I will forgive their iniquity and it, and, and it will be remembered no more. Their sin will be remembered no more. That's good news, amen? The Lord's Supper is a great reminder that the Lord forgets. That means he removes the penalty of our sin through the blood of his son Jesus and that judgment can never come against us again. And so the Lord's Supper is a time to remember that our sins have been forgiven. And then the third thing is we remember that Jesus is coming again. Paul said in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And guess what? Because there was a resurrection, there will be a return. Jesus is coming again for his church. And the Lord's Supper is a time to remember that together. And so church, when we come to the table... Fellowship happens. Koinonia happens. Remembrance happens. And there's one more thing. Look at verse 27 through 34 with me. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. And so Paul says here, because the Corinthians were practicing the Lord's Supper in a dishonorable way or an unworthy way, they were beginning to experience God's judgment. They were coming to the Lord's table in an unloving, self-centered, and irreverent kind of way. And Paul clarifies that this judgment that was coming upon them was not an internal kind of judgment, but rather it was a divine discipline. And that actually they should be willing to judge or examine themselves so God does not have to. And so this highlights a third thing that, that, ha that should happen when we take the Lord's meal together, and that's examination, examination of the heart. Paul says, let a, per a person examine himself, herself, examine their heart so that he or she doesn't partake this meal flippantly or irreverently, but worshipfully, thankfully, and with a humble spirit. That word examine here, it means to prove, to test, to determine if something is pure. It's important to understand that this heart examination that we do before we come to the table is not about approval. If that's how you think about it, get that out of your head. It's not about, appro it's not about approval and it's not about condemnation. 
in Christ, you're already approved because he is enough. Just like when we gather around the table with friends and neighbors, it should never be about condemnation. It should never be about judgment or criticism. It should be about loving one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. When we examine our hearts, it's simply an honest inspection to say if we're progressing in our walk with the Lord, if we're progressing in our faith with the Lord, asking questions like, am I trusting Christ truly every single day? Do do I need to forgive someone that I have offended? Or do I need to ask for forgiveness for an offense? Are there any sins that I have not confessed? Any sins that I've not repented from? Any sins that have more of a grip on me than I do on grace? We have to remember, the Lord's Supper is not for the sinless, but it's for those who are serious about dealing with sin and making sure there's nothing that comes between us and our Lord Jesus Christ. Any opportunity to examine our hearts is also an opportunity to express thanksgiving to the one who removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. We should not dread examining our hearts. It's really an opportunity to be thankful for grace and mercy. And so as we begin to close out this message, and as we ultimately close out this series on hospitality... I think it's only appropriate that we prepare ourselves one more time to come to the Lord's table together, to experience that deep koinonia fellowship through our connection in Christ, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for the remission, the removal of the penalty of sin. But before we come to the table, We must practice what I just preached. Let's take a moment simply to examine our hearts, to ask some of those questions that I just mentioned, to take take a spiritual inventory, to ensure that there's nothing that is standing in the way as a barrier between us and our Heavenly Father. So let's do that before we come to the table. I want to ask you to bow your heads.